Music and singing. Seems like you can't really have a church service without it, right? Music is powerful. We're going to learn today about this artistic expression in historic and modern Christian worship, how it carries words that praise God, how it's multidimensional in worship, and it allows believers to express their emotions. We're in our series called The Gift Giver and His Gathered Guests. Let's listen now to part two of Proclaiming the Gospel Through Music. Here's John. So today we're going to take a look at the eighth element of liturgy, namely music and singing. By design, the Lord created man as a musical being. I love music. Music bears the word of God. It has an artistic dimension. It has a proclamation uh, dimension. It has a declarative dimension. And then fourth, music bears the word of God. It, it has an edu- a praised vertical dimension, but it has an educational dimension. Music bears the word of God. Music is unique because it can carry words. Have you ever thought about that? Because words can carry the word of God, music and the word of God are closely related. God created music to carry the word of God in a unique fashion. So in addition to sermons and catechism classes that we have, music and singing in corporate worship are one of the powerful ways that believers learn the truths of Scripture. And listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 19. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You have to read that in the plural in the Greek. It's all written in the plural to the church. It's not your individual prayer closet. Church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, when you come together, address one another. How? In psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And so the command here by Paul to be filled with the Holy Spirit is is followed in verses 19 through 21 with a string of five participles. Now, if you haven't done English grammar lately, don't worry about participles, but they're there, okay? And what these participles denote in the Greek text is simply the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, significantly, three of these five participles, Paul says, has to do with singing. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the church corporately, guess what it will do together? Sing. It will sing. And so one thing is for sure, a spirit-filled believer in a spirit-filled church sings. They have a song in their heart. And so in addition to this vertical dimension of praise to God and worship, Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 5, we have this, this horizontal dimension. We are singing to one another. When God's gathered guests are assembled like today in corporate worship, they sing and they are speaking God's word to one another. Did you know that? When you sing, you are speaking to your brother or sister in Christ who's next to you. Sometimes when we're singing in church, I won't sing. I'll just close my eyes and listen to everybody else sing and let you encourage me like that. We are singing to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The church in worship not only sings to God, but we sing to one another. This means the church gathers in corporate worship not only to praise God, but to teach each other. 
for mutual edification in the faith. And so music then plays a very vital role in the educational ministry of the church, does it not? It is a powerful way that we inculcate the truth of God's word into the hearts of everyone. Um, J.I. Packer and Gary Parrott, they've written a very good book called Grounded in the Gospel. Packer says it is one of his most significant and most important works he's written at the end of his life. He's now very old and very weak, but he's still writing, thank goodness. But listen to what they say. They're writing a book grounded in the gospel about the importance of coming to catechesis classes, catechism classes, and to be taught in the church. And they say one of the ways that you can come and, 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 have, and be instructed in the church, listen, they say there is one particular catechetical strategy that has the potential to deeply engage our minds, hearts, and bodies, because we're a whole person. We're not just a mind, right? We're not just a body. We're a body-mind. We are, we are emotional, spiritual beings as well. And so... This one particular catechetical strategy has the potential to deeply engage our minds, hearts, and bodies at the same time in a unique way. What is it? The singing of well-chosen hymns of the faith. Such singing was often a key feature in the history of catechesis. That's instruction, teaching in the church. Ambrose of Milan wrote congregational hymns to catechize and said of their usage in his church, quote, all therefore have been made teachers who before scarcely were able to be learners. And guess who was present in Ambrose Church to be taught the truth of God's word as the church sang his hymns of faith? Among those who were present, singing the faith, singing the faith under Ambrose's ministry was Augustine himself. One of the greatest theologians of the church, Augustine, learned the faith through singing of hymns in Ambrose's church. It's a powerful educational tool. I want to give you another example. Modern Christians in Mozambique, uh, guess how they learn the truths of the Christian faith? They turn sermon notes into songs. Listen, um, a, a missionary, his name is Greg Kernigan. He reports how a congregation in Nigula uh, responded in a surprising way to his 40-minute teaching of Scripture. So listen to the account that this missionary gives about what happened when he was in Nigula in Mozambique teaching the Scripture. He says, quote, I asked the translator, what were they singing? And his answer was unexpected. This is an oral culture. Few, if any of these men, can read they will compare notes, so to speak, of what you have taught and then pack the teaching into a song that all will learn. Then they can sing this song as they walk along the journey home and after which they will unpack the teaching and give it to their people over the next weeks through song. That's powerful. Since one of the main purposes of music is to rehearse the great truths of Scripture to each other in the church, it is of, pun intended, paramount importance. I had to get that in. It is of paramount importance that the leadership of the church help choose songs that faithfully set forth the orthodox teaching of Scripture, particularly the gospel. 
I don't know if you noticed this morning, but you sang the Apostles' Creed. Powerful formation there. Singing that over a lifetime. Bringing the truth of the gospel and the Christian faith to bear upon us. And so music played a significant role in the early church's conflict with the heretic Arius and his followers, Arianism. Arius, you know what he did to spread his Arian heretical teaching? He composed hymns to spread his view that Christ was not fully God. He wrote hundreds of them. And Arian hymns became so popular with ordinary churchgoers that they increasingly became ensnared in the Arian heresy, denying the full divinity of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul reveals how God has designed music to bring the gospel fully to bear upon the listener's soul in corporate worship. Listen to what he exhorts the Colossian believers in Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Just a couple quick observations. The, the phrase word of Christ, you know what the, that phrase word of Christ is? It means the gospel. It's a technical phrase in the New Testament referring to the gospel. Let the gospel dwell in you, listen, richly. The gospel is paramount in everything. That is the, my whole soul purpose in life, is to show you every week here in the church, the gospel has to do with everything, including corporate worship. Let the gospel dwell in you richly, not just dwell in you. That's a good start. Richly. How will that happen? One of the ways Paul says that that will happen is through the corporate singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you see how important the educational dimension of music is in the church? Do you understand that's why I put such a huge premium on it for our church? It's not just because I love music. I do love music. I love the artistic dimensions of all sorts of music. I, I really do but I see it as a gift given to teach and instruct the church in a unique and powerful way to form you. And so the biblical model is always, we see throughout scripture, to sing of God's deliverance, to sing what we preach, right? To preach what we sing. We preach the gospel. We sing the gospel. We pray the gospel. We believe the gospel. We hear the gospel. We receive the gospel in the sacraments. It's all about the gospel, right? And so let us not forget that the singing of the gospel is not only a powerful witness to unbelievers, but it is a powerful source of encouragement and edification to believers who gather in the church each week. Michael Horton says this. He says, we must never take Christ's work for granted. The gospel is not merely something we take to unbelievers. It is the word that created and continues to sustain the whole church in its earthly pilgrimage. 
And so that the purpose of us coming together in corporate worship is to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing the gospel to drive the truth of it deeper into our hearts every week to help sustain one another in this often difficult earthly pilgrimage, right? That's why we come to church. Fifth, music enables believers to express their emotions. So music has an emotional dimension. We don't deny that. You can make people cry. You can make people get fearful. Watch a horror movie. Turn the sound off. It's not scary, right? Turn on that scary, you know, it's like, oh, no, here it comes. It's going to come. It's like, boom, Um Music is emotive. Music will move you. Music aids the believer in expressing his or her emotions. Just a reminder to all of us, God didn't make us stoic stones. And guess what? If we won't praise him, Jesus said even the stones will eventually cry out. Music aids the believer in expressing his or her emotions. We're not to be afraid of emotions. One of the benefits of liturgical Protestant worship is that it expresses a wide range of emotions in one service every week. Listen to how this one writer writes it. His name is Silverio. I like that word, Silverio. It's like, man, that's a cool name, Silverio Gonzalez. He writes for Michael Horton's work out in California, Discover, Poor Christianity. He wrote a great article on liturgy, and he said this. He says, when I come to church, I'm not forced to be happy or sad. But I get to express that weird mixture so common to Christians, joy and sorrow, praise and lament, repentance and faith. I love that I get to express the way I actually feel and am helped to express the ways I should feel. As I am taught to express the entire range of emotions that are part of the ordinary Christian life. You know, happy, clappy churches, they they call some churches, you just always got to come and it's always a celebration and it's always a pep rally and it's always joyful. And that's the only emotion they found in the Bible, right? And you come and your life is falling apart and you're going through heartaches And the church's worship liturgy needs to reflect all those emotions to serve the body. Now, we can, when we're suffering, praise God. We should, and we we need to learn that discipline. But also, we need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice at the same time. And the liturgy teaches us these things. One of the great things about the Psalms and singing Psalms is that they cover the whole range of human emotions. Let me just give you 10 examples. Joy, fear, anger, depression, disappointment, disillusionment, praise, gratitude, and outrage. Those are just a few of the emotions you find in the Psalter. We could keep going. Jared, we're going to write a song, and we're going to express righteous anger. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine coming to church and learning how to express righteous anger? Be angry, but do not sin, Paul says. Anger is not a sin. And it's not wrong to be angry, and it's not wrong to express anger. We need to learn how to express it without sinning. 
The whole gamut of this emotional expression in the Psalter, singing the Psalms can help train and guide our emotions, and it can ground our emotions in the truth of God's word. Martin Luther says it like this, the fathers and prophets wanted nothing else to be associated with the word of God as music. Therefore, we have many hymns and psalms where a message and music join to move the listener's soul. We want to move you. We want to have our emotions trained and moved by the truth of God's word. And so what more effective means can you have than music to do that? Just give me an example. Hebrews 12, it says we are to worship God in public worship with gravity and gladness. Now, that is two amazing antithetical emotions, gravity and gladness in one service, right? Music assists us in expressing this gravity and gladness. Vaughn Roberts, who wrote God's Big Picture, a little biblical theology of the unfolding story of redemption. It's a great book. Listen to what he says about music. He says, music helps us to feel something of the wonder of the truths that we are singing about. Listen, the words ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven might not move us, especially when we can see them on a written page, but they can come alive as we sing them and reflect on all that they describe. There's one thing to say forgiveness, but it's another thing to set that word forgiveness in a rousing, moving melody that captures your heart and emotion unless you sing it back to God and to one another, isn't it Right? There's something powerful about that. And so singing enables the church to express deeply felt emotions in a way that mere speaking can never do. And then sixth and finally, we'll finish with this, music awakens by the gospel. Music awakens by the gospel. Music has a celebrative dimension. We should celebrate I think sometimes our public worship should be a little bit happier and clappier, right? It needs to reflect that. It's got to be there. But music awakens by the deliverance that God gives. In Exodus chapter 15, Moses and Miriam have just witnessed the Exodus. Now, could you imagine watching the exodus take place and you experiencing that deliverance by God. Do you know what they do right after that in Exodus 15? They compose a song of praise to God based on his act of deliverance and they begin to worship and sing songs of praise in response to God's great deliverance through the exodus. Go read Exodus 15. It's a wonderful song. Deborah and Barak sing a song of victory in response to God's triumph over the Canaanites in Judges chapter 5. David in Psalm 59 verse 17, why does he sing? Listen carefully. Oh my strength, I will sing praises to you for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. The God who makes a promise and keeps it forever and ever. That's his steadfast love. That makes a heart sing. In Psalm 149, verses 1 to 3, God's people are called to praise the Lord, sing a new song. Why? Listen. Because the Lord takes pleasure in his people. 
Did you hear that? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. Psalm 149, verse 4. And he adorns the humble with salvation. What good news is that to make the heart cheered and sing? Surely knowing that a holy triune God takes pleasure in me will cheer my heart and make me sing, right? That's something to sing about. Mary and Luke 1, the Magnificat, spontaneously erupts in an amazing biblical theology there, right? She knew her Old Testament big time. She is spontaneously erupts in this song of praise to God for the great things that the Lord has done for her and listen, and in her, right? Paul, in Romans 15, we've already read it, he shows how the gospel leads both Jew and Gentile to praise God through song for his lavish mercy in Christ. All over the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we can show song after song arising in God's people Because of God's deliverance, this lavish grace compels the believer to sing, which is why we say at Paramount like this, the gospel tunes our hearts to sing. This is, and I love this, and this is a Lutheran theologian who is an expert in music. He's a church musician. He says this, he says, bold, vigorous rejoicing tells the story of God's victory and our deliverance. The battle is won in Christ, and we sing with jubilation. Bold, vigorous rejoicing tells the story of God's victory. We need to have that, right? I long for that. Gospel-soaked people with gospel-soaked songs singing praise to the gift giver when they're gathered together in corporate worship tells the story. And it tells it well. This is what a Reformed theologian says about it. He says, the adoring church hymns praises that even the angels cannot sing. For only the church has known the divine love that bore the doom of lost sinners and gave them sonship with the beloved. Isn't that beautiful? The gospel awakens music in in God's people's hearts. And so we finish with Martin Luther. We should because he was the expert in the music. Martin Luther actually, you know, he was a great musician himself and he wrote hundreds and hundreds of hymns. But he says this, for God has cheered our hearts and minds through his dear son, whom he gave for us to redeem us from sin, death and the devil. He who believes this earnestly cannot be quiet about it. He must gladly and willingly sing. Isn't that beautiful? So as we reflect this morning on the role of music in the church's worship, what have we seen? We've seen this. Music is a gift of God's good creation. Music beautifies the church's worship. Music joins proclamation to praise. Music proclaims the excellencies of God to all who are present. 
Music joins praise to proclamation. Music praises God for who he is and what he has done, both in creation and in redemption. Music bears the word of God. Music educates the church in God's word, particularly the gospel that dwells richly in God's people when we sing it. Music enables believers to express a wide range of emotions. And music awakens by the gospel. A heart filled with good news sings. And a church filled with good news sings. And so let us hear and heed the psalmist's invitation. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And so, Father, we thank you for the gift of song. We thank you for the gift of music, singing. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, your gospel, your good news would sit richly in this church. That corporately, your good news would fill this church fill every heart, every believer here, and even sad hearts can be cheered by good news and help us to have vigorous, bold rejoicing, responding in thankfulness and praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John. That's a message called Proclaiming the Gospel Through Music, Part 2. We'll have more from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.